0: this all about? What are we doing here? What's the goal, the plan, and the aim for these podcasts? I use the term, let's talk to ourselves about ourselves, and I think it's valid to understand what that means. The primary focus of this podcast is inward facing. We're going to talk to ourselves and we're going to talk about ourselves and the things that matter to us as an organization in gray shirts. Whether that's culture, our mission, the components that make us up, great stories, and fantastic attitudes that all gray shirts have about helping people. Additionally, the humanitarian aspect of Team Rubicon is something worth talking about. How do you build humanitarians? How do you foster and cultivate the humanitarian spirit within an organization and maintain it? Especially when it's not easy. Or... When there aren't operations happening, or even worse, when there's so much happening that it's hard to remember what day it is. I wanna acknowledge that sometimes when we talk to ourselves about ourselves, it is not always easy. Being vulnerable is hard, but it is the stuff we need to be better for ourselves and for our community. We won't always succeed, and we won't always have the best attitudes. We definitely won't always make the best choices. But if we're coming at this from the mentality of a humanitarian, we're always striving to do our best because helping humans is what we do. And loving and caring for one another is the best humanitarian thing we can do. Those are hard concepts to necessarily dive into early in the life of this podcast, but I'd like to think that going forward, we're going to be looking at things that make us better and how we can approach the subject of being a humanitarian organization providing disaster response globally, and always striving to be better. So with that in mind, this past August at the Team Rubicon Leadership Conference in Estes Park, Colorado, I got a chance to talk with Kate Brown. Kate gave a fantastic speech on the opening night of the conference. It was super powerful. It was very honest and vulnerable. In my mind, it was a cultural moment. What I think is ironic about it is is that It is focused all on technology. Mobilization, EMS, VMS, all the tech and data things. They don't always mean much to an operator out in the field. They are more concerned about where are the tools and where do we go to work. So I think having somebody from the technology team talking about something that is obviously very important and something that she is very passionate about is super fun to explore. So before we get started, I wanted to talk about the location. Kate and I are outside of the main auditorium in the hallway while the leadership conference was going on. Grayshirts are milling about, chatting, and sharing some laughs. This does make for some noisy audio. the lovely Colorado I got a chance to talk with Kate Brown who got a chance to speak with all of us at the Team Rubicon Leadership Conference in Estes Park Colorado there was a an amazing moment that happened as she was speaking with us and I thought it'd be a good idea for everyone to kind of get to know who she is and what she does and uh, Kate welcome. Um, Kate Brown where are you from?
1: Uh, I'm originally from Long Island in New York. I uh, grew up on the South Shore in Nassau County.
0: Nassau County, so what, what was that like for you as a kid?
1: Um, it's, it was great being growing up outside of New York City, and I think I didn't realize what a different experience I had from a lot of other parts of the country until I started moving around and living in other places. Um, it's really just an extraordinary place.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. And so you're working for Team Rubicon now? So what do you do and where do you do that?
1: So I'm a technology analyst on the tech team. I'm based out of the NOC in Dallas and I primarily work on the digital transformation project team.
0: So how's that been going?
1: Uh, you know, it's been an adjustment. I've yeah. been on the team for six months and it was, um, I think I've been doing kind of the same thing for so long with TR uh, and that's evolved over time and it's expanded and I've worked on different things. but. Uh, For three years, I was on the membership team or three plus years. Uh, So it's always a transition when you shift over to another team is trying to figure out how you fit in that team and how you can best sort of move with your teammates, which I think has been the biggest adjustment. Uh, And it's always a positive thing. But yeah, you have that moment of like, oh, God, everything feels so different. And where do I go? And how do we move together? And... um, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to be doing now Uh, and there's that sort of learning curve to catch up on the systems we're working on now versus the systems I was sort of the person that was the go-to for previously.
0: And So when you talk about what you used to do so when you were with membership what did you what did you do there? Uh,
1: So I started originally uh, in February 2015 actually as an intern with Logs, Mm -hmm. and I was an intern at the LA office the old one in El Segundo Uh, and I was supposed to transition to an internship on the membership team in May of that year and then the Nepal earthquake hit Um, and we kind of had this moment and I I shifted over sooner Mm -hmm. Uh, but I when I was a membership intern primarily what I did was mobilization and work on that process and start to kind of build it out by nature of the fact that we got hit with the Nepal earthquake and then historic flooding in Houston. Um, And I left the membership team in September of 2015 to go to grad school at the University of Manchester in the UK. Uh, I worked with TR Global while I was over there supporting TR UK, TR Canada, TR Australia, and primarily TR UK as they were kind of standing up. Um, Did a lot of the same thing. Hey, how do we track members as they sign up and um, you know, how do we start to think through that process and how do we work through mobilization? And then I started full-time at the NOC in April of 2016. Uh, I was on the membership team, I was the membership operations associate, but I primarily I was the mobilization team and that was my function. Um, and so I was the mobilization national mobilization lead until basically sort of the tail end of Harvey. Um, when mobilization and membership Really diverged, and mobilization became like a full function at the knock under response, along with logs and planning and finance. Um, but I had also been doing work, I think, by nature of when you're on the membership team, but also mobilization, we're always thinking through like how do we make the gray shirt experience better? We were the keepers of the gray shirt experience, mm-hmm. we used to say, right? Um, and we we're always working to refine the way we drove volunteers to action and communicated with them along the way and we used cornerstone that was our primary database of record uh, and so i had to really learn how to use that and the more we learned the more we saw opportunities to really improve the way we we're communicating with members as they signed up or um, you know as they sort of tried to get deployable and so as we started to build more in that system, other teams started to come to us and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to achieve this. What can we do in Cornerstone to meet that? So I started building a lot of things in Cornerstone. Um, and so sort of at the tail end of Harvey, we made that split and that really became my primary focus was building things inside of Cornerstone and working on, hey, what, can I, what project can I help you with? Is there a tool I can build you that would make your job easier or, you know, make the volunteer experience better than it is right now.
0: An undercurrent that, that you don't really see. It just it just kind of magically happens, and there is no magic. Yeah. <laughs> True. But but that but it, but it is kind of a, a magical thing that one day you get tickets to go fly and go help somebody on their worst day um one day you get all this information that you're going to need and the tools that you need to go deploy those those happen for a reason those happen because of purposeful choices things that you were involved in how hard was that
1: um i think on some level it is some sort of magic right Mm -hmm. the answer is that magic exists right and you hope that's what you achieve at the end of all the work that you put into building it. Mm-hmm. I think the hope is when you build products to ease a business product or, or a business process, I should say, um, or try to solve a critical business need or try to improve an experience, the hope is that when it turns on in practice, it becomes magic. Like yes. suddenly everything is magically better, everything is drastically improved. Um, it is a bear to get there and I think I really like having an impossible challenge in front of me and mm-hmm. I prefer like unreasonable expectations of the outcome. Um, I think our build for the internet improved international applications when we were um, working towards our WHO certification is a great example, right mm-hmm. I you know we were very thoughtfully planning, but every, Minutia kept changing, and the Mm -hmm. whole time I just remember I kept saying, like, yep, we can do that, we can do that. Um, And my team, like, other people on my team would say, like, how are we going to do that in Cornerstone? I'm like, you know what? I don't actually know, but we're going to figure it out, and it's going to be fine. Um, Because I had faith in the tools that we had available and also, like, our ability to pull that off just based on everything we had learned and managed to sort of build and learn from what we broke before. Um, and I it's it's an exciting challenge for me I think actually like my favorite part of it is really trying to learn and understand not only another functional areas process but really what they're trying to achieve right because you can um, you can understand a process but sometimes that process as they work you through a workflow, is really the product of what's available to them now. Right. And when you start to dig in and say, okay, cool, but what are you struggling with? Or if I stop you and say nothing is in your way, what does this look like in a perfect world to you? Right. It's a challenge for people to kind of step out of it and think of, think of things that way, I think, especially by nature of the kind of team that we have. Mm-hmm. We have a bias towards action. We are all drinking from a fire hose. A lot of us have been for a very long time, um, and we all just figure it out right away. And so we're always in a sort of problem-solving mode, and sometimes like, designing those things actually requires you to tr- not try to solve the problem. Right, right? Like I, because you hear that, you'll say, okay, what are you trying to achieve, or what do you need this to function as? And you hear people start to solve it as they speak, and the challenge is saying, don't try to solve the problem, tell me what you want the end result to be, and then we redesign what we're building around that. Um, but it can be hard to kind of stretch out of, hey, this is what I know I have, or I know what's possible, um, or the mindset of, this is where we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that conversation comes up a lot. Some of it is, uh, sometimes it's, okay, but this is what I do right now, how does this translate to later? And being able to recognize that oftentimes what your workflow is now is a product of the tools that were in front of you. Right. And so it's not necessarily the workflow you want to have. It's maybe the one that you're adept at or you're fast at or it seems like it's the most efficient because you've spent time refining to that point. But sometimes it can really drastically change if you have a different tool in front of you. And I think that's really exciting and like it's. I've always really liked actually taking things apart, and I think there's a difference in enjoying breaking things. I I think we all like to break things at TR, right? Like,
0: it's a kind of human nature of where we're at in this organization. I'll
1: take a sledgehammer in anything, but (laughs) I also really like carefully dismantling things to put them back together, Hmm. and that's a different. Sometimes it's a different approach. Right. Uh, and one thing, my sort of visual of it is always that if you walk into a warehouse that is just basically like a trash fire of stuff, mm-hmm. my brain immediately starts to like visually sort everything and dismantle it and reorganize it. And that happens in my head before I touch anything. And I think sometimes that makes people feel like, well, I just told you and you didn't hear me. Um, But my joke is always, I used to work customer service at JFK, so like that kind of discomfort doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. And on some level, I've spent a long, several years of my life actually literally getting yelled at for a living. (laughs) Uh, And it was my job to hear what it was that you needed, even if you were shouting at me. Ah. And so I really, that's something that's fun for me, not being shouted at, but you know, like. It's okay if it takes us a while to get there. It's okay if you're frustrated along the way. It's okay if it's a challenge to slow you down and like help you think through something that way. Um, but it's one that i'm it doesn't I'm comfortable doing and I love to do, and I, I at the end of the day, every one of us is at T r because we want to help somebody, and some of us are like can tear out, you know can gut a house in very little time. Um, I like to gut a house, but I also, I'm just as happy to sit at a computer and try to gut the duct tape that we've slapped together in many different ways or like very carefully dismantle it and try to put something in its place. And I know that not everybody wants to sit at a laptop and do that. So for me, that's my way of like, hey, every gray shirt that goes to the fields has an impact. When I was mob, I felt very much like, even at times when I wanted to smash a laptop or just you know fall over at my desk, like during Harvey, um, the impact, I felt like I was having impact, more impact sitting where I was than if I had gone to the field, right? Like I can't muck out as many houses as I can send gray shirts to the field to do that. And now I'm in a position where I get to do that for my teammates and for volunteer leaders and everybody who has this, a myriad of impossible challenges in front of them. I get to spend that you know, time and... Um, I get to really invest my time in, in a very detailed way, building them what they need. Hmm. to get their job done which then has a downstream impact on X many other volunteers and X many survivors.
0: With this digital transformation DX as they love to use it Mm -hmm. Yeah, they love the acronyms this organization their acronyms it's like being back in the military what did that change for you so you're you're working with them the mobilization team you've been basically putting it together with Lincoln Logs and Legos for years and and making it work. Uh, What happened with that as you have kind of transformed yourself from that Moab team to to the digital transformation team? What are are some of the standouts for you? What were were some awesome things and what were some hard things?
1: Um, I think it actually started really when Harvey hit. Uh, I was just sort of talking with a volunteer leader explaining that I remember when I was the mob team and you know there was a point where it felt like the mob tool was great and it was sustainable and it could handle like the volume we were at and we had it in a great place and it was like detailed and working and then The volume just exceeded it like harvey hit and it was like all the wheels fell off um and for me personally i really had a moment of like that was a long that was a long operation for all of us i think and Mm -hmm. and the whole team whether you were in the field or in an office somewhere like we all took somewhat of a beating to achieve what we did um in in different ways in various ways Uh, and i spent a lot of that time feeling like i failed because i somehow didn't build a tool that could sustain that volume um but the reality was it was the right solution when we were small and the second we hit that kind of volume it just exploded uh and the only reason we it kind of held on was sheer human determination which is really what ran me over Mm -hmm. um And so I, you know, we came to the point at the end of that where it was sort of a question of do I want to continue to be the person who manages that process or there's an opportunity over here to build tools um, and help other teams. And I thought, okay, I built something that was really great. And like in this moment, it feels like it failed and I know it broke. But at the end of the day, we got thousands of people to Houston in the wake of one of the most devastating hurricanes in recent times. And that, while it felt hard to remember sometimes in those moments of stress, like, that was important. And I thought, okay, if I have an opportunity to do that for my teammates, I want to be doing that instead. Like, someone else can move everybody. Mm -hmm. um, And someone else will be great at it. And they'll be better at it than I was. And if I can help someone else lay a foundation for what they're trying to do in in a, in a way that is slightly more scalable with better tools, like that's the opportunity I want to be a part of. Um, and I think that just continued to expand. So we, we start the digital transformation and I was not on the tech team at the start. And I remember being like in meetings for phase one and being a part of it and thinking, I. I just had this feeling like, you know, when you're sort of sitting there and you're you're trying to you're trying to get, get yourself into the fight and like you feel yourself sitting up more in your chair. That was me in all of those meetings like, oh, but can I help with this or can I help think through this? And I want to be part of this. But I was sort of on the outside of the project team and it was like pulled in as a stakeholder for X piece of it. Uh, so I was really kind of itching to get in there and and try to really help in a, a larger way. So it's exciting for me to be able to be part of that. What
0: well, was hard about it? I mean, the hours, mm. the time, the, hey, this is happening, hey, that's happening, this software thing failed, this, this did this, along with everything else that was going on that was chaotic. What in that was, just give it to me in the last, like, two years, what's well, been hard?
1: Um, I actually, there, I think there's two pieces to what's been hard about it for me personally. Um, I prefer that high energy, you know, like that's when I see an op kick off, I want to be the Mobley. Like I still want that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes a project this large and this thoughtful and this calculated in some ways can feel very slow. Uh, and it can, it's its a lot of meetings and it's a lot of um, coordinating across teams and things that are, you know, if you look at like a personality insights test or whatever, maybe my natural inc- inclination is just to act. And so that takes a lot of, it's a different side of my brain. It takes a lot of more energy sometimes for me to effectively do that. And so on that level, just, it can feel exhausting and when you're in that moment you think when you hit that exhaustion point you go okay does that mean i'm doing this effectively like am i am i not doing this well could someone else be doing it better than i am doing um so i think that's and maybe that's a question we all ask no matter what we're doing but i think for me when i'm in that like high impact position you don't have time to think about that sometimes like you just have to act and that's what you're asked to do um, And when I have all this time and space, then I start to think okay I sat in you know X hours of meetings this week These are the things that people are still stressed about how can I communicate this more effectively? Am I doing it? Well, you know uh, and by am I doing it? Well, I mean if this con- conversation continues to circle How can I get better at communicating? How can I help everybody? Um, Because that's ultimately my goal. Like, I want to make sure you have the tool that you need in front of you. So for me, it's like, am I asking the right questions? Am I explaining this well to help you get where you need to be? Uh, The other piece of it is just, it's really letting go of so many things that I have worked hard on. And it's, it's funny because it's not you'd think it's natural to think okay if i worked really hard to build something and someone else replaces it it's really easy to recognize that that's hard but when you're the person who builds a thing that goes in its place it seems non-intuitive that it's still hard to shut it off but it is and and because i built so many things in cornerstone um it Sometimes feels to me like every button we add in the EMS turns off something else that I worked hard to build. And sometimes that was three years ago when we barely knew how to use this other system. And so it took us, it took so much effort to get that one small win, which now it would take maybe like a day (laughs) to achieve. Um, But I feel that and I know that I tend to be really hyper logical about that kind of stuff so if I'm feeling it my suspicion is everyone else is, mm-hmm. right and I sort of hear that in people's the way people frame what they ask for or what they say their requirements are and then their reactions to when you show them hey okay this is where we think we need to start you can kind of hear that it's like oh, but this isn't exactly what I have now. And, you know, but we do it this way right now. And it's like, okay, but is that part of your actual process or is that the workflow by which you achieve that process? And, and trying to help people separate that. But I'm not immune to it on any level. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like at least once a week, I just have 10 minutes where I'm like, Man, we're turning off this thing, and that took me two months to build, and it took six weeks of conversation. And God, I remember wanting to smash my laptop while I was building that, you know? And it's all good. Like, I'm excited about the new things, and some of them I built. But yeah, you you think about the things that we save and the things that we get sentimental about, Um, you know, those artifacts that we hang on to throughout our lives. And if you think about the home, the survivors that we help after disasters, when they come back to their homes and they see us mucking out a house, we've all seen it. We've all encountered a homeowner who's looking at what to us is a pile of debris that we've moved and to them it's their life, right? It's the physical artifact of their life. And for me, I've spent so much of like my time and energy over the last five years building things with TR or being a part of building things with TR that, yeah, like those, those things in these systems to me, like those are my artifacts. Those are my photos. Those are the things that when we discard them, they do feel very personal. And there's a part of me that feels like, okay, maybe I want a screenshot of this. Like it's it's silly things like that, where I'm like, I'm hanging on to this. I mean, I have my first dispatch email, you know, I have. Um, I have a post-it note on my desk that when I started a membership as an intern back in 2015, Pat Ross, who was the deputy director of membership, had a post-it note on his desk that just said 75,000 and I didn't know what it meant when I first saw it, but I think we had 29,000 volunteers at the time and that was the only thing on his desk and that for him was like his dream goal how do we get to 75,000 volunteers? How do we build processes and an experience that that pulls in that many people? Um, and he moved on from TR a few months ago, and he left me that post-it note. And we've far surpassed that. I mean, it's, it's, we crossed that line a long time ago, but for me, like, that has always been... A symbol for me the whole time I've been here is like remembering whatever that next 75,000 is is how do we ensure that every volunteer who shows up here shows up because they're willing to work hard to help people who have been affected by disaster and how do we how do we take care of them right how do we build an experience that makes it easy for them to do it do that makes it accessible for them to do that how do we get them to the field
0: so here we are, we're in, we're at the leadership conference in Colorado. And there's been a lot there's you know, every leadership conference there's always these great moments. And you had a great moment during this conference. And it was very poignant in front of all these volunteer leaders and staff members. And I'd like you to talk with me about where you're you know, about the statement that you used uh within your little your little talk with us because i feel like there's a a very important cultural component to that that we're kind of examining by talking to ourselves about ourselves in, in these podcast series and I, I i remember watching the the audience as, as you were doing your speech and and you were seeing all these great things and then you drop this moment on us and I'm going to let you elaborate on it because I'm not I'm not going to even try and, and manufacture that moment but I would really like you to talk with us about about what, what you were talking about and why you said what you said.
1: Um, so I knew that we were delivering a keynote speech on digital transformation and uh, for a lot of reasons I'm always thinking about what it is that the audience needs to hear. And I know that's, you know, an easy soundbite of like, when you're speaking, it's what does my audience need to hear? But it's so much deeper than that for me on a lot of levels, I, um, throughout my life, like I was a writing tutor for um, ESL students and I'm on some level hyper aware that there's always a difference between what we're trying to say and what, how it's received. Mm. Uh, And change is hard and it's agitating and we're in this like weird sort of spot where we have all this momentum and we're moving forward and the project team is really excited about what's coming and we're really proud of what we're building. But on some level, none of that matters if the team that you hand it over to isn't ready to to pick it up and move with it. And So my section was, you know, basically why change is hard, right? And I thought, okay. In that room, I have staff members, I volunteer leaders across departments. And like, what's really important, because you have such a small chunk of time to talk to people too. It's like, yeah, I could show you what we built. We could go into detail. Um, But what's more important than that in that kind of moment is how we all need to think about it and how we all need to approach it. And for me, you know, I kind of went through a lot of different analogies and thoughts and all the stuff, and I, I kept thinking, okay, how do I really get this message to resonate with everyone? And then I thought, what I'm really asking everyone to do is be vulnerable. And to really say, hey, this is uncomfortable for me, and recognize it in whatever way you need to, to move forward from there. And for that to be honest and genuine, I have to stand up there and be vulnerable too. And so I started to think through, okay, like how can I kind of frame that? And it, there's a part of my brain that thinks I stopped touching the Mobe tool when I stopped being mob. And as I'm thinking through my presentation, it occurred to me, this has been five years of my life. Because just because I stopped being the person who executes Mobe, the very next project I did was working with the rebuild team to automate their MOVE tool. And then I joined the tech team, and we were in the phase that was like working through MOBE. And I thought, oh my god, it's literally been five years of my life. And that was the very first thing I ever did on my first operation. And you know, part of what I talked about was that I showed up on this operation, I had no idea what I was getting into, um, and everyone there was our first op. And so I showed up. Michael Davidson, who leads the Clay Hunt Fellows Program uh, now, was a volunteer in Hawaii at the the time. He was the IC. And I said, hey, what do you need from me? And he said, I don't know, but like, have a seat. I'll figure it out. Then about an hour later he says, they keep telling me we need to fill this personnel tracker thing out. You know what, I need you to figure out what we need to do. And I just said, okay, no problem. And actually I used to do personnel staffing uh, at the airport, so sure, I'll figure it out, good with spreadsheets, right, it's fine. Um, and I spent the next two weeks working everyone's travel arrangements and making sure we had all the numbers. And not having been on an op, I had no idea whether that was normal or not, um, and I started thinking through that and I thought, really part of the message that I wanted people to hear was what we're discarding is a tool or a workflow. It's never the process. And for me, there's no better visual example of that of like, here's a five year difference <laughs> of this spreadsheet that we've turned into some sort of monster along the way. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still a spreadsheet and it breaks and it, it fails. And it's, you know, easy to say, I know that I am on some level the person who is the most proud of that tool and what we've managed to accomplish with it. And on some level, what we've managed to accomplish is just how many people we've managed to move with it. Right? That's where the impact is. Um, And when you say, I'm really proud of this thing, it's easy for people to hear. And I don't think it's fallible. But I have personally paid the cost (laughs) for it breaking. (laughs) time and time again and for me like uh, I've always felt like I'm willing to take a beating for X Y or Z but it becomes harder for me to watch that happen when it someone on my team who takes it and so the bigger we scaled I watched other teams get hit with it my own team first as like we grew and then I've now handed it over to another team that I'm not even on and that's hard for me to watch them pay the cost of having to use it Uh, I met the Australians and the Brits who were here for the conference and the first thing I said to them was you still using those Google sheets I'm really sorry (laughs) like because that's genuinely how I feel you know Um, and so I wanted to kind of like really show that visual example and then stand up there and be vulnerable and say hey listen like you're gonna find yourself in this moment and It it didn't matter, What, what was important was for me to, like, I felt, give people a challenge to say, hey, listen, like, recognize this, think through it, sit with it. I can't dictate for anyone else how they get through that. Like, I actually sometimes need to go take a lap of the building and, like, scream for a minute or just be sad that this thing I'm really proud of is going away. Um, and everybody deals with that differently. And I'm, I'm not gonna dictate to anyone how they get through that change, but part of our culture and part of like, our team mentality is this bias towards action, right? So you wanna drive someone in TR to do something, you issue them a challenge. Absolutely. Right, like that has never changed. Never, it, I don't, it never will. Right? Yeah. And I react the same way to it. Like if I'm having a moment of like, man, I'm frustrated about this. If I'm kind of lost in that feeling and someone like challenges me to move, I act. And I know that we are a team full of people who do that. And so I thought, yeah, okay, I could go scientific here. I could, so many options, but like for me, it's, hey, this is my story. This is me standing up here and being vulnerable and telling you like, this is hard for me too. And I'm on the team that's building it. And then like, here's my challenge that when you find yourself in that moment of discomfort and you're facing like being asked to reimagine this thing that is so personal to you that you be willing to be the first person in line to burn it.
0: Kicking that last sentence for a moment, you be the first to burn it down. In the spaces we occupy within the organization, Do we have the selfless understanding of knowing when things aren't working and what your role in it is? Are we willing to put aside our personal feelings for the betterment of the team? These are all hard choices and situations. If we reach deep down to our humanitarian roots, doing what supports the team, perpetuates the mission, and cares for our community will always be the proper course of action. Go out and be your best self. Thanks for listening.